It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 24th of October, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Dáil voted yesterday on abortion legislation going to committee stage, as expected. The motion passed comfortably with 102 TDs voting for and just 12 TDs voting against. Two Fianna Fáil TDs were amongst the 12 opposed. Mark McSharry, who outlined the reasons for opposing the motion on the programme to us yesterday and Eamon O'Quave. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent is on the line and uh, Sean Patter, Tobin and Peter Fitzpatrick also voted against. We can talk about that in a moment and indeed what it means for Patter Tobin but uh, if we could begin uh, by taking a look at some of the surprises in this vote. All of the local TDs uh, not mentioned so far uh, voted in favour. Bar Fergus O'Dowd and Declan Brannock who were not present uh, but some surprises perhaps uh, that Mary Butler was one of the seven Fianna Fáil TDs who abstained given how emotional she was when she spoke in the debate last week and a lot of surprise locally I think that Shane Castles of Fianna Fáil voted in favour given his position on this issue up to now. Yeah, a lot of the Fianna Fáil TDs who have been staunchly uh, against these proposals and campaign for a no vote have said and have come around to the position that, well, look, this is the the will of the people. It was an overwhelming vote when it came to the referendum. And I think those two in particular, Mary Butler in particular, I was quite surprised at yesterday, given where their strong views are. But they have decided that for now, at least, they are going to, to step aside from this, perhaps try and introduce some amendments to the bill at a later stage um, possibly during committee stage or, or look for some changes there. But they are allowing the, the passage of this through the door. And I think they've obviously made the calculation for themselves that they were on the wrong side of the, the referendum in the first place and that the political capital of their own supporters in the local area is obviously on the other side. So that they will, while keeping their own position, and a lot of the TD spoke 
in the cha- the Dáil Chamber about that, that they, even though they were against this, this is against their fundamental views. It's the will of the people and their job is to pass it through and that's what they're going to do. All right, and uh, Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, as a, a result, I think at least to a, a large degree, has left Fine Gael as a result of his views on this and how isolated he feels. Uh, he's an independent and continues to be an independent uh, as uh, on foot of his vote yesterday. Uh, but what about Padre Tobin, uh, who voted against this motion as Sinn Féin TD? Will he continue to be a Sinn Féin TD? Well, he's certainly likely to face some sort of a sanction from the party, and he knew that. He's spoken about that in the past. It's probably going to be something in the region of perhaps a, a three-month suspension from the party, similar to what Carol Nolan got when she lost the party whip for a similar uh, vote at an earlier stage in the process. Now, she subsequently decided to leave Sinn Féin and is now an independent TD and will run again as an independent TD. Patter, uh, obviously, it, it's up to himself what he does in the future, but he has kind of indicated in the past that he does want to remain within Sinn Féin and that even though this is going to come down the line, he knew he would face some sort of a sanction for it that possibly he may just serve that out and uh, vote his way on the abortion stuff and then come back into the party fold and that will have to obviously be arranged between him and the party leadership. He, he did give some sense of his views on Twitter yesterday where he was saying that you know, 725,000 people did vote no and that they are entitled to representation in the Dáil. That's his view and his personal view on this issue. But it, he is going to have some sort of sanction from the party and whether he stays with them after that is going to be his call. It, it, will it be his call? Well, it's, it likely will be his call. I yeah. think it's, uh, at the moment, I don't see... Mary Lou McDonald forcing him out of the party for this issue. It would be surprising if she did, I I think. Uh, And they have talked enough about this. He said he had some sort of arrangement with Gerry Adams over it. So uh, I imagine for him to go in and vote against it in the way he did, he didn't avoid the vote, he didn't, you know, abstain or just stay out of the chamber as he could well have done if there was going to be issues, that there is probably a plan in place that he will serve his suspension and come back, or or maybe he will decide to leave. I I could be wrong on that, but that Mm. would be my read of it so far. But if there is an agreed plan in place, uh, then we're talking about theatrics, aren't we? Uh, In some ways we are. I mean... there is an element that you have to allow their TDs, particularly on an issue like mm. this, to have a vote of conscience, but they also can't be seen to openly contradict the party. So there has to be some sort of, of censure for that. The scale of it uh, and just how bad it is, I mean, he, he's one dissenter against Sinn Féin's overall views, but I think with other issues, it, it might be more a case of being kicked out of the party, but with this one, I think there is an understanding among a lot of people and a lot of TDs that it is a fundamental issue of conscience and that has been reflected, I think, largely with the votes across the Dáil and you would imagine you'd expect it really to be seen in Sinn Féin as well. Um, well, he, he's a, a very popular TD, he's a very effective TD for Sinn Féin and quite often represents uh, the party and the position uh, that it, it takes on particular issues. Uh, but uh, he's also somebody uh, who is exceptionally pro-life and opposed to this Sinn Féin position uh, and uh, the two will never meet uh, as such. Uh, So uh, it's hard to envisage uh, Sinn Féin allowing him back into the party to articulate in uh, whatever way he chooses to uh, against the party's official position or for Patrick Tobin to go back into a a party that has taken a, a position which is so opposed to his fundamental principles. Yeah, well, that's, that's the call that he's 
going to have to face. And I've heard him speaking on this before, where he said that he, the majority of his principles are aligned with Sinn Féin, that he's been a member of the party for over 20 years, and as he said, has represented them very well. And he has to decide then, does this one issue in which he's diametrically opposed to them trump those other issues? Does that mean he can no longer continue with the party and he has to move out with it? I think it was slightly different, perhaps, with, with Peter Fitzpatrick, where he felt more isolated where he wasn't contrib- getting a huge amount of time to contribute from the Fine Gael benches and his progression under Leo Varadkar was likely going to be very slow or, or non-existent. So Padre Sabine has to now weigh that, you know, is he going to be allowed? I know the arrangement he has with, had with Jerry Adams was that he could speak about his his views on this issue as long as he made it clear that they were not the party view and they were a personal view and that that could go forward, whether or not that will continue under Mary Lou MacDonald and will continue now as this abortion legislation reaches final stages. I mean, only time is going to tell. Well, it was a surprise that Peter Tobin was there to vote yesterday. He's managed to dodge this uh, recently. He would a sick note last time round. He did, yeah, and that was the vote that saw Carol Nolan suspended and ultimately leave the party. Padre Trevine didn't vote that time and stayed away from it, but I think probably for him when it is such a matter of conscience and something feels important to him, there's only so often you could do that. And when this legislation was now progressing into really the business end of, of getting it through the, the Oireachtas, he was going to have to show up and let his opinions known, or, or else what's the point in vocally talk, speaking against them if you're not going to actually mm-hmm. go in and cast your vote for the people that you claim to represent, then you know what's the point in doing it? Okay, well, not much surprise uh, in terms of our local TDs uh, at all, really, apart from Shane Castles, uh, as I say, and we'll talk to him at a a later stage. Uh, Declan Brannock wasn't there. I think uh, a lot of people might have expected him to have voted against the legislation. We'll speak to him uh, again at a later stage, and we'll be speaking to Patrick Tobin later in today's programme. We were listening uh, to the excitement in your voice, reflecting uh, back on the big debate last night. It, It certainly was a big debate, wasn't it? It went on forever. It, it did. It went on for, for almost two hours in the end. I was surprised it was only meant to be an hour and a half long debate, but it, it kept going and kept going and kept giving. But despite all, there was quite a lot of bluster, particularly in the first half and in the second mm-hmm. half, they kind of got into a bit more detail about what they wanted to do as president. But I don't think a huge amount of damage was certainly done to Michael D. Higgins. He kept the tactic of sitting back and letting the others talk and letting the others argue without really contributing. There was one point where I counted, and I think it was nearly 25 minutes he'd gone without making any sort of a contribution towards the debate, was happy enough for the others to, to have a go at each other. And they certainly did that, each one having moments where they didn't represent themselves particularly well that could possibly damage them. But no overall killer blow that I think would make a big difference when it comes to the polls. I think at the moment, the biggest issue Michael Dean might well be facing is voter turnout because so many people watched last night and weren't enamoured by it or don't really care about mm. the election or think that he's home at hose and might not turn out to vote at all on Friday. Yeah, I don't know if you've uh, seen the viewing figures yet, but uh, I think they'll be interesting. Uh, and I think they'll also be interesting if they're able to break it down in terms of how many tuned in at the beginning of uh, the debate and how many were still watching towards uh, the end because I thought it was tedious, uh, because we'd heard everything over and over uh, already. We have. I mean, all of these issues are stuff that's been tossed out, even the stuff mm. that was meant to be controversial, the likes of the government jet, the likes of the travel comments of Peter Casey. Mm. I mean, we've heard just the last week. And they weren't, uh, they they weren't interesting the first time round. <laughs> <laughs> no, they certainly, certainly weren't on many issues. And I mean, I mean, if the use of the government jet is the best thing they can find to bash Michael D. on, there's yeah. not a huge amount there, you know. Um, and they weren't, there wasn't a huge amount added to it. 
there were a few bits that kind of raised eyebrows. I mean, Peter Casey saying he put his wife on the council stage, for example, was a bit odd. And Leanna Reader really struggled to explain her own, her take-home pay. She obviously claims to stick by this, this Sinn Féin policy of take, taking only the average industrial wage for right. MEP salary, but she revealed last night that that's 47000 she gets is actually after tax, which would be a regular salary of about 70000 So not really the average industrial wage by any uh, stretch of the imagination. I mean, Gavin Duffy was largely non-existent throughout it. Sean Gallagher didn't, you know, claims to be this man who's going to bring new energy to the Eurus, but didn't really land any sort of punch at all. And Joan Freeman got highly offended when David McCullough pursued a line of questioning about Pieta House. Just He asked where the figure that she has put out that Pieta House has saved 30,000 lives over the last six years, I think it is. And he asked a bit about that. She got highly offended and kind of hit back and I don't think came across particularly well at what was just a question about statistics really so there was no one who Mm. did themselves a huge amount of favours I don't think And uh, Sean Gallagher is going to go uh, to this uh, Virgin Media debate uh, which is a U-turn isn't it really Uh, and uh, you'd have to wonder why he took a position and is now taking a a different position Yeah well it was a stupid position for him to start out with in the first place he was essentially trying to be the man who was slightly above the rest of the field, you know, that he was uh, all running for a second time. He was on a par with Michael D. And if Michael D. Higgins wasn't going to debate, he wasn't going to debate. But that backfired entirely. I mean, what he should have done from the start was gone to those, pointed out that Michael D. Higgins wasn't going to be at those debates and had to go and set out his stall um, there. And he's obviously realised now it's last chance saloon. He hasn't really made much of a, a difference in the polls. So he's going to go tonight and just give one last pitch. I mean, he tried to spin it last mm-hmm. night and argue that he wanted everyone, if everyone had boycotted the first few debates, Michael D. Higgins would have had to do them or, you know, would have had to show up to them. It was a fairly thin and weak argument, which he seems to have reversed on anyway. And he will be among the five. Michael D. Higgins still not going tonight to the virtual media debate, but those five will give one last pitch if anyone can stand to listen for the hour and a half. All right, uh, just uh, back uh, to the politics of uh, running the country and some surprise yesterday. Catherine Corliss uh, in Galway talking about being pleasantly shocked at uh, the government uh, announcement uh, to exhume the baby's entomb. Uh, it's going to cost 12 million, 12 million, uh, two and a half million uh, being donated uh, by the Bon Secours. Uh, the minister probably uh, coming across very impressive about uh, her interaction uh, with Pope Francis on all of this uh, and uh, I think there's uh, a lot of uh, people who are are happy at this news uh, some who aren't uh, but uh, there's a lot of unpleasant work ahead of us in the coming months. Yeah absolutely it's of course such an absolutely grim case of what happened in Tume and there had been basically two thoughts of argument they'd been crashing out uh, between the trains of thought of you know leave well enough alone this this site is there, we know what happened, it's awful, we don't need to go into it, we should just memorialise it and keep it there. And the, the uh, this other spectrum was a full excavation to try and, and find out actually what happened, and that's what they decided to go for, to try and use DNA testing to identify some of the children who are buried there, potentially hundreds of them buried at that site in Tume. As you mentioned, it's going to cost probably somewhere between 6 and, and $13 million is the figure that the Minister gave. She was quite emotional yesterday when announcing it in the press conference. And to be fair to, to Catherine Zabot, it is one that she has worked quite hard on since she came into the brief and one that does very much affect her when uh, she, she talks about it. It's a very, very 
grim part of Irish history and she did speak about that saying that if we want to understand the mistakes that happened in the past, some of the awful tragedies that happened in this country, we need to investigate them, we need to look into what happened and see if the excavation and forensic examination in June can shed any more light on that and perhaps provide closure for some of the families of the women who were there and, and the poor children who were buried in that site by identifying them and offering reburial. The Bon Secours, as you said, have offered $2.5 million towards the cost of us. They were the ones who ran the home in the first place and I think some people would say maybe they should be doing a bit more, some people welcoming the fact that they are contributing towards it at all. And uh, obviously it was mentioned with Pope Francis as well. The minister said that she hasn't quite heard back from him yet since his visit, but hopes to in the near future. So something that is certainly a bit of progress, welcomed by the likes of Catherine Corliss and others who've been campaigning heavily on this and hopefully can provide some sort of answers and some sort of closure for the, the poor people affected. OK, Sean, many thanks for all of that and for joining us as always. Sean Defoe is our political correspondent. Michael Reed on LMFM. Two families in Rathoth are facing homelessness as a result of houses being repossessed, according to the Mead Chronicle, uh, which reports uh, that independent councillor Nick Killian says he has 96 files on his desk relating to people who are facing homelessness, and he's on the line with us. Good morning to you, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, Maybe you could uh, tell us a a little bit about... uh, the two families that you're dealing with in uh, the first instance and why uh, they're uh, having their homes repossessed. Uh, Good morning, Michael. Um, This is the other side of homelessness. Um, The situation was presented to me last week by two different families. One family where their home has been repossessed by a vulture fund company. Um, And there are family reasons as to why this has happened, and they're very sad. But they now find themselves, they were presented to me with a letter where they were going to be evicted actually on Monday. And through the good offices of dealing with the court service, that has been postponed for about six weeks to try to enable them to get and rent somewhere locally. The other family is a totally different scenario. It's where the landlord got into trouble with the bank and the tenants have now been presented with with a notice to quit the house. So you have two different scenarios. But in both cases, neither of them are entitled to any assistance from Meath County Council from a housing perspective because they are working and they are over the limits uh, to apply for social housing. They could present as homeless and maybe Mm. be put into B&B for a while, but the other difficulties that are out there um, then present themselves. Okay, so the second family's landlord is having his house repossessed. Yes, exactly. Uh, and the house then is going for sale, is it? The house, uh, no, the bank are just taking it back and have given the um, the solicitors for the banks have given the tenants two, two, two months' notice to quit. Okay, uh, uh, which is a normal notice period, isn't it? Well, not really. You know, I mean, I think they're entitled to six months under the RTB rules. But the the point being, there is nowhere for them to rent. Mm. They've three children. They're all in local schools. The rents, as you know, Michael, you've heard me, you know it yourself. You're listening Mm. to it every day of the week. The rents are exorbitant, uh, around 2,000 now for a three-bed house in in Rathoth. And we now find ourselves in a situation where these families have, may have to uproot themselves and move move out of the area to some other part of the country. But yet they can't do that. Mm. Well, you know, they're working in Blanchardstown. Um, they're working in reasonably good jobs, mm. but not in a position to get a mortgage either. Okay. So they're, they're caught in the cleft stick. But the first family have a, a mortgage, but I take it they're in arrears. 
they're in arrears and you know it could have probably been managed better and I've said that what I'm saying to you I've said to them straight but they now find themselves where they're out on the street and or will be out on the street mm. and they, they but cannot that, but that, that, that's the reality of falling into arrears isn't unfortunately, it unfortunately but what's happening now is that the chickens have come home to roost mm. with the vulture fund companies and with the banks but they're, they're, and the they're, courts they're, are now banging down the repossession orders but they've the same rights uh, that they would have had uh, with their uh, initial uh, mortgage company wouldn't they well, there's no rights because at this point in time, the, number one, they can't get a mortgage. They will never get a mortgage at this particular point in time because they're in they're in debt and in arrears. And the uh, other situation is they're not earning enough as a family to um, pay and afford the rents that are actually out there because they're just above the threshold of the forty-two thousand for families uh, to go on the social housing list. That's a, a net income, isn't it? That's a net income. So mm. they're, they're caught. So, so, so they're on what? Uh, they've uh, an income of about 60,000. Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, they're in arrears uh, on their mortgage. On their mortgage. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's so far, nothing can be done about it. Well, well, that means uh, it's uh, pretty serious. Uh, They're pretty serious. Yeah, it is serious. And we all know that, and we could, you know, give out and say they should have done more about it at a certain time, but they didn't. But these are people, they're individuals, um, they didn't cope with the situation very well. In the other case of the family, they, they really are just devastated by the fact that they have to uh, do what they have to do after being in the property for over five years. And now they find themselves uh, that they'll be out on the street. And I have written, obviously, to Permanent TSB, who are the bank that's involved in this particular case. Um, I have to say that the um, court, the, the sheriff's office, has been very reasonable in, in, to deal with in relation to the, the other case. And there is another case that I was uh, presented with also since then, which again is another repossession uh, that's coming up. But. The point I'm trying to make as well on top of this, and you've heard me for the last five years uh, beat this drum about the housing situation in Meath. We know in the Rathout Municipal District have no land left. There's 17 houses being built in Rathout uh, itself. There's 26 going to be built in Dunshockland by 2020 or 2021 with no land. So even from the point of view of having affordable housing, whereas maybe some of these people might be able to get on the mortgage ladder uh, and get a house at a reasonable cost, we're not in a position to deliver on that either. Okay, we have to leave it there. Thanks for joining us though, as always. Nick Killian, an independent councillor in Meath. Wednesday morning and uh, the local newspapers should be available to you in your shops and Marie Cairns has them here in front of her and uh, you're looking at uh, the front pages for us uh, this morning as usual Marie and you're beginning with the Drogheda Independent. That's right Michael, the Drogheda Independent is leading with a story pay parking uh, row erupts and that's the headline and it tells how residents of Parkview, that, that, that's a secluded little residential area in a part of Drogheda on the north side of the town and the residents basically woke up to a rather nasty surprise last week uh, Michael, lots of them had parking tickets on their cars. What's more according to Hubert Murphy, who's writing the story. Some didn't even know they were in a pay parking area. Apparently nine tickets were placed on cars in the vicinity of the area of the entrance to 
Boyne Rovers Clubhouse and the area does not even have a parking meter. There are no marked spaces for anyone to park and it seems that much of the confusion stems from the charge for the residential parking permit being abolished in Drogheda in line with Dundalk but residents say they contacted the council to ask about the permits and say they were told they didn't need any now and needless to say there's a lot of confusion and upset over this and Mayor Frank Godfrey has said that a warning letter should have been placed on cars initially if enforcement was going to be starting in the area. Okay, well if uh, they were in an area that requires a a permit I think you still need a permit, you just don't pay for it but you have to apply for it and uh, if they've uh, received uh, a parking ticket that's probably because of an approach that's been taken by the council recently uh, where they're not just uh, issuing more tickets but they're moving further outside of the centre of the town and if they are residents in a resident permit parking area when they go to renew their parking permit, they should bring their parking ticket with them and that probably will be annulled. That's confusing me, Mike. <laughs> well, 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 I just mean when they go in to renew their parking uh, okay. permit, bring the parking ticket and, and they, then it should be... They should quash it, yeah. Well, well, that would be good news if that happens. Most likely they will quash it, yeah. The draw, to the Drada leader then, and not fooling around is the headline of the, the, the Drada leader, and this refers to the meeting of Drada Borg Bur- uh, Municipal Council, the budget meeting, and says that the councillors rejected the draft budget because of the huge cut in funding. The front page of the leader also carries a story from Drogheda District Court, Michael, about a 15-year-old who had three pipe bombs and 20 shotgun cartridges in his wardrobe, which he claimed he was holding to pay off a drug debt. Really, really worrying story that. Uh, let's go to Dundalk and uh, the Argus. Yes, and it's the big story in Dundalk this week. I suppose it's not surprising that all the local papers are carrying comprehensive coverage of the closure of the Authentic Food Company with the Argus headline saying its closure is hard to swallow. Shop steward Kieran Maguire, who has been working in the former Heinz plant for 25 years, summed up the feeling of the devastated 180 strong workforce. He says it's a huge shock. Some people just didn't want to believe it, to be honest. We have no answers as to why this happened. Just excuse after excuse from the company. And the leader also looking at uh, that story uh, and uh, the job losses. Yes, also honing in on the manner in which the factory closed and the treatment of the staff. There's a nice little story inside the leader too about members of a local family, Michael, who travelled to France to commemorate the 100th anniversary of a relative, Hugh Coburn from Kilcurry, who died during World War One whilst fighting with the American forces. Okay, housing stories inside uh, the Meath Chronicle and on the front page. Yeah. Yes, this is a very interesting story on the front page uh, by Noelle Finnegan, who's reporting that 57 weeks is the average time it took for local authority houses in Meath to be re-let after becoming vacant in 2017. While the average spend to get council houses ready for new tenants was the second highest in the country at almost 29,000 last year. Uh, The story says that Mead County Council has one of the longest vacancy periods in the country, coming in behind Sligo, Leitrim and Cork City, while social houses in other counties were turned around in less than 10 weeks. So lots of interest in that. Of course, there's lots of concern too. And Councillor Noel French tells the Chronicle that no council should be allowed to leave properties vacant for any prolonged period of time while there were almost 10,000 people in emergency accommodation. All right. Interesting stories indeed. And perhaps uh, people listening might want to make comment on them because you'll be coming back to us in a a few minutes time with some of the comments that uh, people might want to share with us. Uh, And indeed, if uh, there's 
something else they've been listening to this morning that they'd like to comment on or if uh, there's a matter that you'd like to raise with us as always we'd love to hear from you Murray and Maggie are taking calls now on 1850 715 958 Michael Reed on LMFM. As many as 40 schools might have to close as a result of fire safety and structural concerns following uh, the building of uh, these particular buildings by Western Building Systems and the discovery of flaws in some buildings constructed, many of them in recent times, four of them in County Meath. And we're joined by Finnefall's spokesperson on education and TD for Meath. East, Thomas Byrne. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, obviously concerned this morning uh, over St Paul's and Rathoth, the Gale School in Dunboyne, the Gale School in Ashburn and uh, the National School in Ashburn, but how uh, can we envisage closing 40 schools? Well, look, I, I'm not going to raise concerns. I haven't been the engineer out on, on the various schools where checks are taking place. There were fire safety concerns at all of those schools announced last year and in the last year there were audits done and some of the issues were very minor and some of them are very serious uh, and issues have been dealt with. Uh, and, you know, I will, I will allow mm. engineers... But the latest um, problem follows the fire safety concerns and yes. efforts to remediate yes, the problems. Absolutely. And while they were trying to fix one problem, they discovered this other problem. Yes. And I, I'm, I have to say I'm concerned that it is uh, over a year since the department announced uh, this audit as a result of publicity about, about four schools um, that now has taken over a year to find these major structural problems uh, in Ardgillen in particular and in Tyrrellstown as well subsequently and probably, let's be honest, in some other schools. Uh, that is of concern to me. But look, the primary concern is for the safety of children, uh, for their education and I think the department needs to absolutely redouble its efforts now to make sure the children, some of whom are in the constituency here who go mm-hmm. to Art Gillen, uh, and indeed Tyrrellstown actually, um, they need to be uh, educated and they need to be provided with a place. And I think that needs to be act- actually top priority for those children and in relation to the other schools, top priorities to make sure the children are safe. And if they're not safe, get them out. Uh, but we have to educate our children. Mm-hmm. But I have a whole range of questions uh, for the department uh, about this whole uh, debacle. I am concerned, Michael, um, that the Department of Education wouldn't take on financial responsibility if there's somebody else there who's responsible uh, and that they wouldn't allow the statute of limitations run out to sue uh, anyone that may well be responsible. Uh, that's something that I'm very concerned about. Uh, I want to know as well, um, was the Department of Education, as Western Building Systems alleges, actually checking the work on site? Uh, because the department has said that the certification process changed in 2014 and obviously was self-certifying before that. But if they're blaming self-certification, then they can't also say that they were, they were inspecting. Mm. So we do need answers in relation to that. Uh, you know, we need answers in relation to why the fire safety issues were, were covered up, really, uh, on, and, and not communicated to schools uh, until the Oireachtas Education Committee held a hearing in September of last year. That, that's of concern mm. as well. But the, uh, the, the most uh, immediate issue is where are we going to educate these children? Yeah. Uh, and exactly. for principals, teachers, parents and the children in Rathoth, Dunboyne and in Ashburn, this is obviously of huge concern and I, I imagine it's not a question that anybody can answer offhand. No, it's not. And it's not a question I'm going to answer, Michael, because I, I'm not going to raise the fears, although we are all afraid. Um, but I think it is important that this... Uh, ought to be carried out as soon as possible. It is a pity it hasn't been carried out or Gillen wasn't discovered until now. 
uh, well over a year after they started this process. That is, look, that's we'll be finding mm-hmm. out more, but that is done now. Thankfully, nobody, nothing happened to anybody. Um, and in relation to the other schools, either to confirm fears and, and get the children out or uh, to dispel fears and keep them there, that needs to be done as soon as possible because there will be no comfort uh, in the various schools affected until that happens. Okay, well, we'll uh, hope and pray that that is not the case, as uh, I'm sure uh, many of uh, the people... uh, I'll be getting a full briefing from the Department of Education, I think, later this morning. That was promised I raised this in the doll last night, and I'll certainly impart the information to LMFM and to uh, local local people as well uh, on social media when I get the exact information, because I certainly don't want to be... Uh, spreading fears or spreading rumours. That's not what I think any of us really wants to do in, in such a dangerous situation. Oh, absolutely not. But we do know that the four schools mentioned are uh, on this list of 40 and, and, constructed and look, by we're Western We were on a list before yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in yep. relation to fire mm-hmm. safety concerns and we th- th- there were certainly jobs done in all of those schools mm-hmm. and some of them range from minor to, 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 to major. But look, that's been dealt with, but let's hope the structural issues are okay, but we'll find out more today. All right, uh, let's talk uh, about uh, the meeting of uh, the Education Committee yesterday. You had academics, students and indeed uh, officials uh, from uh, the department in with you to talk uh, about sexual consent uh, and indeed uh, how there's obviously uh, great interest in uh, attending classes uh, because 90% uh, of uh, those in Trinity uh, availed of such classes uh, when they were made available to them. Yeah, and I think it's one area, I have to say this, Michael, where the universities, the students' unions have been way ahead of the politicians on this. I mean, these have these have started long before politicians started uh, talking about consent or the need for consent classes. So really, I suppose my, uh, what the way I see our role is actually to support these, facilitate them and let them do what they're doing. Because what's happening now in Trinity in terms of what the students' union is doing in collaboration with the college and what's happening in UCG or NUIG in relation to what they call the SMART uh, Consent Project, um, it's it's becoming best practice, and it's just it's just becoming embedded into the system uh, that you know, educating, mm-hmm. um, collaborating, working out with people what is consent, what isn't consent, uh, what you know, what 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 the issues are around that, and discussing them and being open about it, and really at the end of the day, protecting people, uh, protecting men and protecting women uh, who may be victims, and you know, encouraging a a a, a sense of you know, reporting of being open about all of this as well and make sure the Gardaí get involved, I think I think we're on to a, a big a big change here. But in terms of what we do as politicians, it's it's really to support that and that's really what I was trying to work out yesterday. How do we support it? And I, I would suspect uh, that some funding will have to go to uh, Galway and to Trinity in terms of what the work they do and that it would be spread around to, to, to other um, other other institutions. Well, that's uh, probably, uh, I take it, on foot of what uh, the students from Trinity were telling you. They were enthusiastic uh, about uh, the opportunity of taking such classes, uh, but they can't extend it to everybody because there is a lack of funding. On the other hand, uh, the Minister has uh, spoken about making these uh, classes compulsory. Well, we did discuss the issue of, of uh, like we can't make them compulsory if we're not going to fund them, but we also discussed the issue of it being compulsory and we got some advice from the academics there. And there is an issue about that because um, it's just not the way things are done in university and there may well be issues with that. Um, and I think that the best approach seems to be uh, to make it part of orientation that people go to, that becomes a more natural part of it, that's something that people expect that they do uh, when they go to university. It turns out in Trinity that various uh, clubs and societies are looking for uh, help on this mm. and that they would integrate it into their own programmes. So that's very, very positive. 
Um, when, when we say that maybe compulsory isn't the way to go, and I mean, people weren't entirely clear on that. Um, it's not that they don't want people to do it, uh, but it just tends to go against the grain uh, in university and may in fact be counterproductive. Uh, and why is it, do you think, uh, that they, the students, that is, uh, were so enthusiastic in Trinity and not so enthusiastic in UCD, where they had to cancel ca- classes uh, because of a, a low uptake? Well, I think uh, we didn't have people uh, from UCD there yesterday, but I think in relation to um, Trinity, uh, they just have a good model as to how it actually works, and it's that the students' union are running it, and they've got collaboration from the senior tutor, who's kind of the, you know, the student relations officer in Trinity, and then the, the counselling service as well, and it just seems to work. And NUIG's smart consent as well, that seems to work. And what I what I was saying is, uh, at the committee, what, what I would like is a, a model of good practice. Uh, and that that would be rolled out. So what happens in some places is that it turned into a classroom-type discussion, and it didn't really work because, I mean, just people found it boring or whatever, like PowerPoint slides, etc. Uh, but if they actually change it to discussion, um, meetings, um, in Galway, they, they this crazy idea that seems to work where they bring in a, a theatre troupe just to make the whole thing fun, but making it a very, very serious point uh, that this is an extremely serious uh, criminal issue. Uh, that you know has been a problem on campus and um, let's not forget the reason uh, for this is that a huge amount of students uh, men and women have reported uh, that they've been victims of sexual violence or, 70 percent of yeah. the females in galway 40 percent of the males in galway yeah so it's absolutely huge so so this isn't something that's just a newfangled idea or whatever it's something that is actually relating to a real problem on campus uh, and actually michael i mean i'm one of the ones who always says that we shouldn't be throwing everything at the, at the education system this is a real problem in society um, so the education system responds in its way, uh, but other sectors of society will also have to respond here as well. And I think I commend uh, what the students and the colleges that where this has worked have done, and I want to see this rolled out um, on a national basis um, in the universities. And so far as we can, like, I mean, the, the state never directs universities as to what to teach or whatever. They, ha- they kind of have to do it themselves. But the truth is that students want to go to these uh, sessions and want to learn, want to find out, want to discuss these issues. Uh, and that's certainly been the case okay. in, in a number of the third level institutions. And, and oh, let's right. bear in mind, this, okay. is, this is only starting. It has started as a research project in, in Galway, and that research can, can be applied to learnings. And um, I think this will only, this will only um, become more widespread, more successful, okay. I think, if it's rolled out properly. But also, you'll have more reporting. Uh, to Gardaí as well, which I think is absolutely crucial, and that will obviously mm. have another effect well, on, uh, on, on whether people do these acts. And that can only be positive. I have to leave it there, though. I'm yeah, over no time, problem. and thank you indeed for thank joining you. us uh, this morning. Finnefall TD Thomas Byrne is his party spokesperson on education. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Mary from Drogheda was in touch with us during your interview with our political correspondent, Sean DeVoe. And the point she wanted to make was in relation, of course, to that vote yesterday on the abortion legislation and she says that she's not a Fine Gael supporter but she does have a lot of respect for Peter Fitzpatrick she thinks that he has gone up in her estimation she says that all along whilst he was in Fine Gael he, did, he was opposed to abortion and he was put under huge pressure from the party now of course he's left the party and she just thinks it's admirable that what he's doing what he's doing and sticking to his principles because you don't see a lot of that nowadays okay. says Mary mm-hmm. well Peter Fitzpatrick may to the decision himself. He chose to leave the party. Uh, Padre Tobin 
uh, a different day's work. Uh, he's voted against the party That's and right. uh, will be sanctioned. It's expected at least he'll be sanctioned to some degree, to what degree, God knows that, uh, and we'll be talking to him soon enough. And Liam actually phoned in in relation to Pat the Trebine and says that he just feels sorry for the deputy. He says that you can't um, just get rid of your own convictions, Michael, because a party thinks otherwise. And he thinks in an instance like this, when it is a moral decision and that it, it takes a lot for somebody to go against their party but he is sticking to what he believes in and he thinks that the party should show him a little bit of leniency. Alright, well I think they probably will but uh, in time. In time, but yeah. you think he, he's going to be suspended? Yeah, well uh, I mean I think there's probably a, a case of theatrics and uh, people will have to be seen to do what they said they would do. Another listener says on that that um, if there's an election in the next couple of months, does that mean, Michael, that uh, Deputy Pathetobin would be running as an independent in the constituency? Well, that's the question. I suppose uh, one of the questions we'll ask him, uh, because a, a lot of it will hinge on when the election is. Uh, if he's lost the whip during the time the election yes. is held, he'll uh, have to stand as an independent. But like that, even after the election, he could uh, return to the party. He'll be back mm-hmm. in again. Yeah, yeah. So people mm-hmm. will know what the vote for really. Tony from County Loud got in touch during your interview with Councillor Nick Colleen and says Michael in response to your interview with uh, Councillor Colleen it's hard to know what he was trying to get across. Are we to feel sorry for two adults with a combined income of 60,000 who perhaps mismanaged it? It's all very emotive to use words like vulture fund Mm. but this matter should have been dealt with a long time ago in the normal way as other countries did if the courts are not tied the hands to the hands of the banks for years. Well, I think in, in fairness to Nick Killian, uh, he did say that, you know, they were in arrears, uh, they have a, a combined income of about 60,000 uh, and they should have dealt with it earlier and that it probably would have made no difference if it was the bank that was calling in the fund rather than the Fulcher Fund who had taken over the loan. Uh, on the other hand, he was saying that they're in this situation now uh, for uh, the right reasons or the wrong reasons, but they're in this situation now and because uh, they'll lose their house they won't be able to afford somewhere to rent locally Angela was in touch um, during your interview with Thomas Byrne and she says nothing against Thomas Byrne personally but she says that it just annoys her now when she hears Fianna Fáil TDs on the radio and it's all to do with the housing crisis and Fianna Fáil's position because she says that she feels Fianna Fáil is obviously happy with Fine Gael's handling of the housing crisis when they are prepared to negotiate and strike up another confidence and supply deal. She says it just annoys me listening to them now because on one hand they're giving out about the government over various things, but yet they are happy to prop them up. I'm sick of it all, says mm, Angela. Well, there's a, a consensus in Fianna Fáil, uh, as we heard <laughs> yesterday, and uh, part of the consensus is uh, to strike a, a new deal with Fine Gael, and part of the consensus is to not strike a new deal with Fine Gael. On the debate last night, the big debate, um, Mairead from Drogheda says... The big, long, boring <laughs> debate. We didn't really learn much from it, did we, Michael? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, yeah, no, we didn't. I gave up at, ten, mm. at 11 mm. and went to bed. Yeah. Maraid from Dada says, I thought the debate last night was dreadful. It, um, it didn't really give us any real insight into the candidates and what makes them tick. Maybe if it didn't cost so much mm. to run as a candidate, we'd have a better choice. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, maybe we need to let the dust settle on this and let the vote take place on Friday uh, and then to start thinking about seven years from now or whenever the next presidential election is uh, and how we go about it. Uh, because I hope that's uh, the one positive that comes out of what has been a debacle, uh, mm. that we don't go into another election campaign uh, on a, a similar ground. To this and one. should it be seven mm. years, Michael? That's another question. Well, that's, question. That, that, that's yeah. another one. It has to be that you need a referendum to change that. Uh, it has to I be uh, under the Constitution. Uh, but uh, the campaign itself, uh, I think, is something that needs to be looked at. Anthony was on from Dunboyne. He says, with just two days to go after polling day, he still hasn't received his polling card. Mm. He is registered to vote because he has voted in the past. What should he do? Can he still go and vote on the day? Yeah, well, you if you're registered, if you're registered you can. Yes. Yeah, you can check... Uh, What's it uh, online? Um, MyRegister.ie, I think, if I remember. Check check if you're registered on MyRegister.ie. Once you're registered, uh, just turn up at the polling station. And regardless of whether you have a polling card or not, you'll need to bring identity with you. That's it. To show maybe your passport or your driver's licence or something like that. Uh, we were, we have been speaking about the parking charges in Drogheda and the county and Patsy from Drogheda, God, he was straight off. First thing this morning before we even started oh. the show, practically, he was in touch to say that, just want to make the point to Michael mm. uh, regarding this whole controversy to do with parking charges. Mm. There are a, a lot of a, a hullabaloo has been made about the 20 cents. But what yeah. you're missing, Michael, is that it's not about the 20 cents. Mm. It's all about fairness between Drogheda and Dundalk. Mm. It's not the 20 cents. Why do don't they just 
put up the price in Dundalk and have everyone the same at 120. Mm. Okay, so that's yeah. what the point yeah, of the pads yeah. is making. Well, maybe they could put the price up in Dundalk and uh, give uh, the same amount of free parking that's uh, available in Drogheda, which they don't have uh, apparently. Uh, and uh, I don't know, it's not 20 cent uh, either for that matter. It's only 20 cent if you're parked for an hour. Yes, well, it's 120, but it's 20 cent in yeah. the difference, isn't mm. it? If you're parked for an hour. If you're parked so for So if an you're hour. parked for a half an hour, it's 10 cent. If you're parked for 15 <laughs> minutes, it's 5 cents. Um, anyway, that's Patsy's point and yeah. he wanted to make it. Yeah. So it's made. Well done, Patsy. <laughs> um, just on the election, and I know we're going to be um, running out of the box mm. pop there. I was out and about during the, or yesterday, but we had Nula was in touch and was annoying Nula about the vote on Friday. It's nothing to do with the actual vote, but the fact that some schools will be closing to um, allow people to go and vote for the election so mm. that's um, her little gripe this morning Okay, she well, thinks the kids get enough time off school and they should look at alternative venues oh, right, okay, even though yeah. I'm sure the children will be delighted I'm sure they will maybe they could uh, use radio stations uh, to uh, hold we'd, we'd oblige yeah I'm sure we would alright uh, that's uh, the vote on uh, the presidential uh, election people will be voting for the next president on Friday there's also the referendum that's right Michael yeah. yes has everybody forgotten about the referendum. Well, you really would be surprised. I couldn't believe it when I was out yesterday. The amount of people that actually didn't even know it was on. All right, well, let's hear what happened. There's a referendum on Friday. Did you realise that? I, I heard about it already, yeah, but that's about all, yeah. You, I, do you know anything about it? Uh, not really, no, honest to God, no. I think it's something to do with religion, is it? If you can't sneer on anyone that believes in God or believes in Buddha or that, and you can't ridicule them, they believe what they believe, is that right? So you have picked up a few bits uh, well, about I, it. A little bit of self-knowledge a bit, a bit, a little bit, a bit. But no, I don't, didn't even know there was a referendum on Friday. You know, I, th- I thought it was the... the um, election. The election, yeah, yeah, no. So are you going to vote? I don't think so, no, I don't. I don't Neither. Think, I think the last person that was done for that religion was in 1862 or something, was summoned for, for that religion. I heard that on the radio now. So oh. what about the presidential election? Oh, I definitely won't be voting on that one. No, absolutely not. That's a waste of good money. We have a referendum on Friday as well as a presidential vote. Do you know much about what we're voting on? No, not really. I'd love to have um, to find out more about it really before we made up you know, my decision on the, the subject, yeah. Do you think there's been enough debate about it? No. Definitely not. No, I'd like to have seen a bit more. Definitely. And at this stage, do you know what way you might vote or are you waiting to find out more information? I think I'll wait and see a bit more about it, yeah, before I make up my mind. Yeah, definitely. So more coverage between now and Friday? Definitely. Definitely. don't even have a clue what it is. No idea? No, no idea. Blasphemy. Does it ring any bells? No. I think that should have been removed years ago. Do you? Yeah, it would have been a shame if they had the if they had the brought if they had the brought prosecution against uh, the guys around the late interviewed by Gay Bourne. Oh, that's right, Stephen Fry. Wasn't Stephen, it? Yeah, 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 he was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, that's crazy. That I think that blasphemy thing is ancient. You know. Yeah. So will you be you'll be voting be to vote, remove? Be it. voting to remove it. Yeah. I don't think there's been a, a, enough debate on the blasphemy. Most people don't think they know what it is. I will be voting, yes. Unfortunately, I'm away in holidays, but I will vote before I leave the town. In both? Both, yeah. And what about the referendum? Do you think there's been enough coverage? Do you know much about it? Um, until a few minutes ago, to be honest, I wouldn't have heard anything about it. So it's all about the presidential election and who's voting who and who's getting percentages and not a whole lot of it the referendum, no. So will you vote, even though you're not sure about it? I'll educate myself between now and then. I definitely will vote, yeah.
Right. Definitely will. Well, if I'm only at the point now, the chances are that a lot of people are only at the point now. So between now and then, I will look into it because the vote was a vote. We you fought know, hard for it. In typical fashion, there's always something drowning out something else. So this is how they get under the radar for me. So yeah, I probably will vote and look into it. Barely heard about it all. You know, uh, we, um, just there's only been a couple of references about it. Uh, Do you think then that people aren't really sure what it's all about? Absolutely, yeah. It's been all about the presidential campaign. In fact, you know, it's not fair that they don't know because people uh, are expected to make big decisions without being well informed. And you yourself, have you to find out more about it or have you decided what way you're going to vote? I'm not looking to see what way you're going to vote, but have you decided yet? I have decided, yes. Uh, I can tell you how I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote to, to keep keep the clause in because yeah. I, I don't think I don't think we should be just able to say whatever we want. You know, I think there has to we have to have a bit of respect in the world, uh, no matter what faith you have. No, I don't know enough about it. I really haven't thought about it. Actually, uh, and we're just thinking of the presidential election. I have put no thought at all into the other. I actually, until you said it there, now I've completely forgot it, that it's on on Friday, because. But I know so little about it. I think it's ridiculous. I like that. It's all about the presidential election, and. It, the other is not talked about at all. Now, I've heard very little about it. And until you said there about it, I said, oh, my God, it is on a Friday. Like, do you know? There was a lady on the telly the other night explained the, the meaning of the word blasphemy. Yes. And she was telling what it consists of and the whole lot. And uh, that's it. But we know before from years back, she learned her school. So you you know what you're voting for? Yeah. Do you know much about it? No, I don't. I don't want. I'm too old now to know anything about that. No interest. No, no. I will be voting, uh, although I'm not usually a great voter for things. But blasphemy is different things to different people. I don't think it's going to make any difference anyway. People think just the way they think. It's not going to make any difference. I think they need to focus in on other parts of the constitution and worry about other things in this country. For more important. More important. Yes than blasphemy because blasphemy is different things to different people See, I will vote for the presidential election but what about the referendum I will not vote for that do you know much about it no I don't I don't I don't understand why it is in the first place so uh, I don't know anything about it I won't vote for it you know. and do you agree that it has been kept below the radar in comparison to the presidential election there hasn't been enough talk about it or coverage about it like you're saying you're not sure what it's about, so clearly you haven't heard much about it. No, it has not been uh, discussed. I didn't hear it being discussed on radio or on television. Here and there, snippets here and there, you know, that type of thing. I just don't understand it, you know. Why do they have to be up now, along with the presidential election, you know? Very interesting thoughts there, and thanks uh, to those people who shared them with Marie Kearns for us. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's uh, debate uh, this referendum that you'll be voting on on Friday as to whether to remove blasphemy from the Constitution or not. Paul Murphy is a Solidarity TD. He's here to ask you to vote yes to remove blasphemy and Independent Senator Roland Mullen is here to ask you to vote no. This is to do with Article 46.1 of the Constitution which has to do with uh, the freedom of expression.
and that when it comes to the radio, the press or the cinema, the state will endeavour to preserve the rightful liberty of expression, including criticism of the government. But this should not be used to undermine public order or morality or the authority of the state. And then the Constitution says that the publication or utterance of blasphemous, seditious or indecent matter is an offence which shall be punishable in accordance with law. Paul Murphy, perhaps uh, you'd take up uh, on that wording in the Constitution as it stands now. And why is it that you want to undermine morality in this country? Well, what we're voting on is the removal of the reference to blasphemy, so the word blasphemous um, being taken out. And what blasphemy means is, is speaking sacrilegiously about God or religious ideas. Um, and we think we should absolutely take the opportunity to vote yes to take this out of our constitution. Um, it provides for a potential restriction on the freedom of speech of people to criticize um, re- religion. Um, and we think that's that's important. We, we also definitely see this referendum in the context of the referendum a few years ago in relation to marriage equality, the referendum a few months ago in relation to the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. And we see this as all part of the same struggle to have separation of church and state uh, in our country. But and in the context of its inclusion in the Constitution, do you agree that our founding fathers believed that to be blasphemous was an effort to undermine morality in the country? Yeah, well, our our Constitution, um, and it's not just here, but our Constitution in general is a relic of the 1930s uh, and was aimed at restricting religious debate and protecting the position then of the religious uh, majority uh, at that point. So that that was their intention. Um, Obviously, I think most people would agree that society has moved on uh, massively um, and we shouldn't have this kind of restriction on the freedom of speech within our constitution. Taking it out will be a step towards the separation of church and state. Obviously, there's a lot more to be done in terms of church control of health and of of education. Mm. But it will send a very important uh, signal uh, in that direction as well as protecting... Does that that mean that you want to be grossly abusive of people's religious beliefs or to insult their religion or their gods, for that matter? No, no. Um, so blasphemy, but that is the definition of blasphemy, is it not? Well, but yeah, blasphemy is about offending religion. To be grossly abusive or insulting towards religion or religious uh, figures. So it, it, it's not the same as attacking religious groups or religious people. Um, what we need is, is hate crime legislation in Ireland um, to, um, to prevent that. Uh, and certainly people have raised, you know, the idea that, well, does the blasphemy, does the reference to blasphemy in the Constitution and the Defamation Act of 2009, which implements it, does that protect religious minorities? Well, it it doesn't, and it was never intended to do so. It was intended to protect the position of the of the of the Catholic Church uh, in our country. And um, so, what we need is incitement of hatred uh, legislation, and we also need then the, the right to fr- of freedom of criticism of of religion. People should be able to have that freedom to criticise and have a, a vigorous debate about religion. But that doesn't, you know, getting rid of blasphemy shouldn't make it okay to to engage in abuse of of people for whatever reason, be it religion or political or, or any other view. Ronan Mullen, uh, you're asking people to vote no. Uh, Are you asking uh, people to continue to justify fatwas or religious uh, wars in the world that we live in? 
Well, I suppose, Michael, I'm not so much asking people to vote no, but when asked, telling them that they're better off to vote no, in my opinion, um, for a few reasons. First of all, this is completely unnecessary. There hasn't been a prosecution for blasphemy since 1855. It's almost impossible to prosecute it because of the way it's defined. It's defined really as setting out to give offence to religious believers in substantial numbers, and a substantial number have to be offended in matters of the sacred. And even then, there are many defences for free speech, political, literary merit, and so on. So this is a non-issue. Do you accept that that it gives justification uh, to imprisoning somebody somewhere else in the world for uh, a short, long or, or medium period of time, or beheading them, killing them for that matter? Well, certainly blasphemy laws have been uh, abused in other countries, just as other laws would be abused if they weren't using blasphemy. But in fact, No, they haven't, and this is the argument, and this is why I'm putting the question to you, because because the the argument is, no, uh, it's just a a different punishment. Uh, We we all believe it's wrong. In Ireland, they believe it's wrong, uh, and they charge you €25,000. Here, we take your head off. No, well, what I have said is, in answer to that crazy charge, that somehow this gives comfort to countries that have abusive blasphemy laws who use it to persecute minorities. And I've spoken most, more than most people in Leinster House uh, in, in, in defending the rights of Christian and non-Christian minorities in the Middle East who could well be and have been targeted by blasphemy laws in places like Pakistan. What I've been saying on this is actually we'd be better off keeping our model of blasphemy, which is very harmless, which acknowledges the principle that, you know what, we shouldn't probably be setting out deliberately to cause offence in matters of religious belief. That's not good for social harmony, but clearly keeping the balance so strongly on the side of free expression that we haven't had a prosecution since 1855. And I'm not alone in saying this, by the way, Michael. Mm. Michal McGrail is a very well-known sociologist who's probably the foremost expert on prejudice and tolerance in Ireland, written three books on the subject. He's actually concerned that getting rid of the blasphemy uh, provision would kind of give comfort to people who set out to attack and cause unnecessary stress and discord in matters of of religion. Do you think Stephen Fry was blasphemous? Well, to be honest, you, Stephen Fry got a lot of mileage out of having. But do you think he was blasphemous? In in some people's opinion, yes. In other people's opinion, no. In your opinion, do you think he was blasphemous? Well, for the purposes of the law and showed there was never the slightest chance. In fact, it was all about gaining attention for him and for RTE that you had so much hoo-ha about it. Well, I don't think it was Stephen Fry or RTE who made the complaint. But do you you believe that it was a legitimate complaint? Do you believe he was blasphemous? I don't believe it was a legitimate complaint. I I, I think he was... But do you believe it was blasphemous, I take it, because you haven't said otherwise? No, I I just told you, I don't believe it. I I mean, he's entitled to his rant against God as anybody else is. No, I think we're missing the point here, which is that the government is spending three million euros of public money asking a question uh, that doesn't need to be asked because it isn't given a problem. And I think what we should listen to more carefully than Mm. the Stephen Fry's of this world, who are very good at gaining attention for themselves and portraying themselves as victims of outrage, etc., etc., Stephen Fry suffered no consequence, but got a lot of publicity for having a big rant okay. of God. Let, let me go back to Paul Murphy. What does it matter if it is a criminal offence to be blasphemous, Paul Murphy, if you can say whatever you want about God? How dare he? How dare God give children cancer? Uh, you can say whatever you want, obviously, if you can say that. Well, one reason is precisely the reason you touched on there, which is the international import of it. Um, so, in, in Pakistan... They, they have blasphemy laws and they've been used and they have been used in a way that is much more harsh than anything envisaged in, in Irish law. Um, 1,300 people have been prosecuted over the past couple of decades and 62 have been murdered 
prior to, to trial, showing the trouble with outrage having to be demonstrated, you whip this up. And the relevance of that to Ireland is that Pakistan, since 2009, has repeatedly used Ireland as an example of the fact that, well, look, here you have a Western country which has blasphemy laws, and Pakistan proposed the exact same wording as... Which is very different. Um, I mean, if anything, Paul, if you get rid of our uh, you, how we define blasphemy, you have nothing to point to the Pakistanis to say, look, here's how a blasphemy law should work. You take away the Irish model, so they regard us all as infidels anyway. You know, so actually that argument makes no sense. Okay. Paul Murphy, come the, back. And the, then. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the fact that they are using Ireland as an example uh, means that we should, we should take that example away by taking blasphemy out of the Constitution. Um, and, and I think we, we have an opportunity on Friday to improve our Constitution. If you, by know, if you voted to get rid of this, you're actually taking away the one thing you could point them to, to say, guys, you know, we actually promote respect for religion too, but here's how we do it in such a way that minorities aren't oppressed. I mean, Paul, you said there that this was originally about protecting the position of the Catholic Church. It was not. There was never any connection with protecting the Catholic Church in this. And your I, argument, Rona Mullen, is that it's made no difference, really, because it, it's, it's never that, it, it's never it, been enforced, it's never been uh, applied, nobody has ever faced a, a charge yeah, of I mean, blasphemy or not since exactly a priest right, burned a Bible in the, the 1800s. Uh, but if it's removed, if, if it's... Just if I could ask you... If I could ask you this question... Sorry, I don't know what they're doing in the studio there. Can you hear me? I'm, yes, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, Ronan. I'm, I'm no, not no, sure no problem. That, that I'm just saying, this is actually put into the Constitution at a time when our mm-hmm. Constitution had a very enlightened protection of Jews and other minorities at a time when terrible things were happening in Europe. So it has to be seen in that context. I actually, when originally debating this at the Shannon, I took the view, this is a waste of money. We should send a message uh, to the politicians by voting no to say, stop okay. wasting our money with silly referendums. But, but, but it, the it, money is being spent. And just, just the last question I was going to put to you before, before the unscheduled ad break... If if uh, blasphemy is removed from the Constitution, will it make any difference? If it hasn't made any difference being in the Constitution? No, the only difference it'll make is that you'll have more silly referendums like this uh, tinkering with other things that don't matter either and at public expense. It costs three million to add this question that we really need to send a message to the politicians. Mm. Stop wasting our money asking us silly questions. This is about... Some elites that have some kind of garbage that they want to scratch at your expense and mine. But frankly, uh, what, I suppose what I have learned throughout this referendum, which I maybe didn't realise so strongly at the start, is that there are actually good reasons for keeping the, the prohibition in terms of protecting social harmony and respect for religious minorities. That's not me talking, that's Michal McGrail, who's an eminent sociologist and an expert. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, in fairness, it sounds like you to me. Uh, but well, let, 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 let me conclude uh, with uh, Paul Murphy. Uh, they have asked a silly question. They've spent the money. Uh, should people uh, waste their time answering it? People should should go to vote on Friday. They have an opportunity to take out a very bad part of our constitution. It won't mean our constitution then becomes a very progressive document. No, it, it, it won't. In my opinion, fundamentally, we need a new constitution. But it will send a very important signal in this country about the kind of relationship that we want to have between state and church. And it will send a message internationally to say that we're not no longer going to have a reference to blasphemy in our constitution or in our, our laws. And that's a, a good opportunity. Well, people have the opportunity on Friday if they wish to avail of it. And thank you both for making the arguments on both sides. Independent Senator Ronan Mullen and Solidarity TD Paul Murphy. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
Patrick O'Bean is a Sinn Féin TD for Mead West. He's on the line and let's cut to the chase. How long will that be the case and for how much longer do you expect to hold the party whip? Well, first of all, this issue is more important <clears throat> than my job and uh, any other job in Leinster House, to be honest. Uh, there are many tragic, difficult situations facing mothers, fathers and, and unborn children every day in Ireland. And I think that we need to make sure as uh, adults that our approach to those people, our friends, our relationship, uh, our neighbours, needs to be founded on compassion. Um, the unborn child is scientifically an individual living human being. And within this particular piece of legislation before the doll, an abortion is defined as a medical procedure which is intended to end the life uh, of that unborn child. Uh, obviously, that's a very, very serious question for anybody to uh, be asked. <clears throat> and I'm, I remember, I'm, I'm a strong believer of personal responsibility in Leicester House. So I remember speaking uh, when the Labour Party were in government and when they were cutting back on DESH school investment. And I said to them, I said, when you cut back on DESH school investment, you are individually and personally responsible for the changes in the opportunity of those young people in those schools. And in the same way, if I vote for a particular piece of legislation, I am responsible for the individual, uh, individuals affected by that legislation. Uh, and, and in this case, I will be responsible for those abortions. Um, so I, we, uh, uh, my attitude is that we need, as uh, legislators, to take personal responsibilities for the laws that we provide uh, in this state. Uh, obviously, I'm a member of Sinn Féin for 21 years. Um, I suppose from a very young age, I was inspired by the selfless sacrifice of Republicans from Wolf Tone to Bobby Sands. <clears throat> I joined Sinn Féin when it wasn't easy to. Uh, and in, in the intervening years, I've poured all my energy into building a movement um, that will achieve a united Ireland and economic justice for people. Because economic justice is radically important. Right across Louth and Mead at the moment, there are people who are getting stuffed left, right and centre when it comes to jobs, housing, health care, uh, etc. And that needs to be focused uh, upon. I suppose I was delighted to take um, the seat in 2011 for Sinn Féin in Mead. It was the first time that we won a seat in Mead since Lee Mellows uh, had the seat uh, way back in 1918. And since then, along with my colleagues uh, in Sinn Féin, in Mead Sinn Féin, We've built up a, a great organisation uh, in that county. I have many dear friends uh, within Sinn Féin, and I'm, this is a very difficult time for, obviously, them as well. Um, and I suppose at this stage, uh, we're waiting for the whip of the party um, to decide upon what exactly is the discipline to be implemented, uh, and I have no idea what that will be as of yet. You haven't had communication uh, with uh, the party. Angus O'Snoddy, I think, is the whip, isn't he? Yeah, I, m- yeah. I met yeah. Angus yesterday and I just yeah. asked him what yeah. was the story and um, Angus says that he would be with me probably today, but he couldn't be uh, sure on that. Um, I know that the decision is with the party chairperson. Um, <clears throat> so Declan Carney is to make the final decision upon it and then that decision will be given to Angus and then I'll have a conversation with Angus and uh, we'll be taking it from there. Mm. But I suppose uh, it's important for me to say that, you know, um, after this decision is taken, I'll still be an Irish Republican. I'll still seek to build uh, Irish independence and economic justice for people. And I'll still seek to uh, make sure that Meath gets the strong representation that it needs because Meath is a great county, but it's been stuffed in many ways with regards in the lack of investment from Gardaí uh, to jobs, uh, to housing, to health care, 
uh, to the local authority, to roads, etc. So I'll be still obviously focused on making sure that we get proper uh, resources in County Mead that we're entitled to. Okay, and uh, I believe it is a, a difficult time for you, and I believe it is a, a difficult time for your supporters. I also think it's a, a difficult time for Sinn Féin, because I, I think you're held in very high regard. Uh, but I don't think you're going to be expelled from the party. I'm sure you don't hold that belief, and that uh, you probably are facing a, a temporary suspension. And as we put it earlier on in the programme, it'll be a question of theatrics. Uh, and the reason that I, I'm putting that to you now is because, as we discussed earlier, or last week, uh, you were um, very critical of Thomas Byrne. I think you, you called into question his integrity as a, a pro-life campaigner who voted in favour yesterday of uh, the legislation as expected, who said in the Dáil last week that this should happen sooner rather than later to uphold the will of uh, the people. Uh, and uh, if you're calling into, his, into question his integrity, uh, because of what he is doing uh, when he said that that was what we, he was going to do uh, where does that leave you uh, as somebody uh, who's at odds with your party uh, and has said that you would vote against Sinn Féin uh, but if you go back into the party uh, surely you're compromising your principles Well first of all this is a serious issue uh, for myself uh, it's a serious issue for me the Sinn Féin and it's a serious issue for the party in general Um and there's no doubt that, obviously, you know, over the last six months, there's been enormous stresses and strains as a result uh, of this in, in, impending the, the, the decision. In the, in the scheme of things, though, you know, I, it's important for people to remember that the mothers who are facing these difficulties, their families and the unborn children that are facing, obviously, the new regime in this country, for them, it's, the, the issue is far more difficult, far more serious. For me, the sun will rise tomorrow, no matter what the decision we'll make. The question is, I suppose, if this law is implemented, will the sun rise for thousands of unborn children in the future? Um, now, with regards to Thomas Burns' particular views on mm. this, um, you know, 34% of the population voted no. Yesterday, less than 10% of the, of the doll voted no. Yeah, you I'm voted no, believe. and you're going to return to Sinn Féin. You will be suspended, and you will return to Sinn Féin. How does that compare to Carol Nolan, uh, who has left Sinn Féin, or Peter Fitzpatrick, who's left Fine Gael? Well, first of all, I'm a very strong believer that the doll should reflect the will uh, of the people, and the will of the people hasn't been reflected so far, because there's tens of, hundreds of thousands of people who voted no who didn't have a voice in Leinster House as of yesterday. I, I've no doubt that this legislation is going to pass through, but I still think it's important that both sides of this debate have their voices heard within uh, the walls of Leinster House. With regard to the future, to be honest, uh, Michael, and, 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 I, and I wouldn't use this sentence regularly on your show, but on this point, there is really no value in speculation to what's going to happen, because I honestly don't know uh, what's going to happen. Hmm. What we do know is that if the suspension is a long suspension and there's an election that happens in the intervening time that under the rules of the party I won't be able to stand for Sinn Féin in that general election. No, but you'll be able to return to Sinn Féin. Well, if... if and you'll if, be representing a, a party... That's not necessarily the case uh, at all because if, if there's a general election Sinn Féin will put up another candidate in Mid West. 
and they will fight that seat uh, with that other candidate. Mm. And, so and if both of you uh, are, are returned, well, then they'll have two uh, TDs in the constituency. <laughs> I, I mean, this... Well, in, in, the, in fairness, I think... I mean, you know, it's, ridi- few, it's ridiculous uh, in the so. sense of Thomas Byrne, that Thomas Byrne is doing what he said he would do, and you question his integrity. Uh, See, but, the, the reason but, I, I, I but, question his integrity, Michael, is but, this, but, because... But you, the, if, you, if you, you, you are in exactly the same position as Carol Nolan and Peter Fitzpatrick. Uh, both of whom left their parties, namely Sinn Féin and Fine Gael. Uh, and you have the opportunity to stand over your principles in the same way that they did. Well, f- first of all, the reason why I did criticise uh, Thomas Byrne is if you're pro-life, you believe the scientific evidence that says that the unborn child is an individual living human being. You're a member of a now, pro-choice party. To, to vote for an individual living human being, to have their life ended... Is a, is a radical issue. It's it, 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 it's a, it's that's, it jars. It doesn't make sense. That's your so, definition of pro-life. Thomas Byrne no, has his own definition, and Thomas definition. Thomas Byrne it's has his own definition as a, a Democrat, and his is to uphold the will of the people. Carol Nolan's Carol Nolan's Carol Nolan's definition of pro-life is not to be in a party that is pro-choice. Peter Fitzpatrick's definition of pro-life is not to be in a party that is pro-choice. First of all, I'm not giving you my definition. That's a scientific definition. It's an individual. It's, it, it has a, a separate DNA. It's obviously human. Its parents are human. And it's living. It's growing, uh, etc. Now, this legislation, it is impossible to say that you're a pro-life and vote for this legislation at the same time. And in actual fact, you know, Thomas stood in the general election with a mandate that he was a pro-life TD. Uh, and you know, representing that view in Leinster House. The, the, the way you create the worst legislation in Leinster House is that you delete all opposition to that legislation. Because the opposition's job is to test the legislation to the nth degree okay. well, there was no, sure there, that it there, functioned there, properly. There was no surprise at how Thomas Byrne voted yesterday. There probably was some surprise, some surprise at how Shane Castles voted. Again, you know, these people need to answer for themselves again. Like, okay, I think I, I, I didn't hear the show, but I believe Thomas or, that Shane Castles was on your show a couple of weeks ago complaining that, like, you know, that I wasn't uh, pro-life enough and that he was far more so. Um, and again, you know, and, and the weird thing is in Fianna Fáil, there's no whip in Fianna Fáil. There's, there's absolutely no negative consequence to these particular TDs in simply uh, expressing their own strongly held, con- held convictions on this issue or, or representing the people that voted for them. The only difference that actually exists is that it might negatively affect their career ambitions okay, if well, they disagree with Micheál Martin. Okay, and we leave them to uh, trash that out with Micheál Martin. Uh, I'm running over time. Before we finish up, uh, uh, have uh, you decided on your position moving forward or are you willing to accept the position that Sinn Féin presents to you? Well, obviously, um, the, I, as I said, I, I, w- I will remain no matter what happens in Irish Republican. I will always seek uh, for the uh, Irish independence in a 32-county Ireland and for economic justice. I'll also remain uh, to seek and I fight for me to make sure that Mead gets what it's entitled to. I hope dearly that I get a chance to remain within the fold of, of Sinn Féin. But beyond that, it's impossible to speculate. And you'll accept whatever the party decides. Well, I have no choice. It's appropriate. That's the, um, the what the party is. is, is uh, the party has a rule. The party has made a decision to have a whip on this issue. I've on, I'm on the record in disagreeing with the whip on this issue. Okay, no, but, nowhere but what I mean is, is if, it, um, if it's a, well, a, a twelve month suspension, okay. for example, uh, you'll accept that and uh, be happy to return after such a long suspension. Well, uh, it's 
uh, it's impossible to speculate okay. at this stage, okay. Michael, to what's going to happen. But yeah. we'll know very shortly. All right. Now, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't like asking you because I do know that it's difficult for you, but that people want the question to be asked. Uh, and we'll hold... I have no doubt that we'll get to answer it in the next couple of days. Yeah, and we'll hold that thought and hopefully come back to you in the next couple of days uh, when you have uh, an answer uh, after speaking to the party. And thank you indeed for joining us this morning. No problem. Thank you indeed. Uh, Sinn Féin TD in Mead West, Peter Tobin. Michael Reed on LMFM. Single-use plastics such as plastic cutlery or straws may be banned under European laws, which will be voted on by MEPs uh, today. But this is on foot of uh, a bill which would have introduced straight away uh, that uh, was tabled by the Green Party last night uh, and uh, looked at a return and deposit scheme for closed drinks uh, and restrictions on uh, the use of uh, some of these coffee cups and the like uh, and levies on uh, disposable cups uh, and that that would go to making uh, some of these items come possible uh, rather than uh, the plastics uh, that are, are not recyclable. The bill had the support of Uplift, Sick of Plastics campaign and Friends of the Earth. Emily Duffy is uh, the campaign's manager with Uplift. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Uh, this wasn't uh, opposed necessarily by the government last night. Uh, the minister uh, has said uh, that the government will review what has been proposed in this bill. Hi, thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, so the, the motion itself wasn't um, wasn't uh, kind of opposed by the government, but however, what we are seeing is them kicking the can down the road um, in a way that we can't really, you know, afford time-wise. Um, and we, we were not really sure why that is. I mean, a lot of, but most of the research shows that these kind of schemes work incredibly well. We know that it's already coming down the line from the EU Plastic bottle deposit schemes already are working across the EU, especially in countries like Denmark. Um, and we're, we're not really sure what the problem is, why the government won't move this bill forward to committee stage. Um, but what we have seen is that there's been significant lobbying by, by business interests who profit from the production and sale of plastic of plastic bottles and, and single-use plastics, um, particularly by, say, Repack and Coca-Cola and, and, and people like that. So I think what, what may be happening is that the government is listening to those mm. interests and is maybe hedging their bets a little bit. Well, what's um, the point? Uh, I mean, if uh, the European Union is going to do it, uh, what's the point in the Irish government uh, duplicating uh, the laws uh, domestically? Yeah, because uh, there's 10 particular items that are going to be banned under this European move, isn't there? Sure. Well, I would say, I mean, if, if, it, if it's already kind of in process, why, why, why block it? I mean, we know that, that yesterday um, there was significant news that we've already, that we've found plastics in our, in our, in our bodies. So there's microplastics already in our bodies. We obviously don't know what the health implications of that are. Um, so I would say that we have very little time to waste when it comes to, to addressing our use of plastic. We know that one of, we're one of the biggest polluters in Europe. And what would be great is if we could see the government take a really progressive, you know, leadership role in this and not wait for new, for, for new laws to come down the line that maybe you know a year coming into place but what they can do is act now um, we know that we know that it, we're already past the, you know we're almost at the point of no return when it comes to uh, the amount of plastic waste that we have if it's already in our bodies and our livers and our kidneys um, it, it, it's gone too far so I would say there's really no time to delay and I, w- I would question why the government wouldn't pass their own bill their, their own waste management bill um, as soon as possible Alright well that 
uh, study that uh, you spoke uh, about, which was carried out by researchers in Austria, looked at participants from eight uh, different countries, uh, the UK, Finland, Italy, Netherlands, Poland, Austria, Japan and Russian. Uh, uh, they did find plastic in their stools, uh, but they said that it didn't show any detrimental health effect, albeit from that small sample. But the minister with responsibility for this now is Richard Bruton. He was making uh, the point in the doll last week or last night that he's uh, hardly had a chance to sit down. He's less than a week in the job and he's already commissioning a review into this. Yeah, well, we know that there was already, you know, I think when politicians say we're going to commission a review, when there's already been a huge amount of research presented, um, when they've already, you know, created their own bill, like this is a a bill that they were putting forward until um, there was a significant amount of lobbying and all of a sudden it became something that needed a review. Um, We know that all of the common sense policies across the EU say that this is the right thing to do. So um, for me, this review seems like a stalling tactic. I think there would be fantastic in his first week as, as the new minister if Richard Bruton was to take decisive action and move this forward. Um, there's a massive opportunity for him to do it. We delivered a petition yesterday of over 30,000 signatures. So it's something that the public really wants. Um, so I understand that he's, it's his first week in the job, but what, a, what, what better thing could he do the first week in the job is to unstick something that was stuck by the previous minister. Um, and in terms of the, of the health implications of, of um, the plastics in our bodies, I suppose what I would say is that we don't actually know what the long-term effects of that um, are yet. Uh, we know that... Um, you know, if it's entering the bloodstream and the lymphatic system um, and may even reach the liver, that there is possibilities it would have significant effects on our health. And we don't really know. So it may be, you know, in the next five or 10 years or it could be, you know, our children's generation that, mm. that feel the effects of it. But what I would say is that we don't have time to waste when it comes to addressing plastics. Well, uh, industry uh, might uh, criticise uh, the Minister for making such a, a rash decision without informing himself or without getting uh, the appropriate advice from this review that he's commissioning uh, at a, a time when the government uh, wants uh, to set a 90% target for recycling of plastic bottles. Absolutely, and I mean, I think what the, I think there's, there's, there could be a lot of kind of lip service around that. I think that the government are, say, are saying a lot of the right things when it comes to to plastic waste, but when we see the action, I mean, as well as this, like, yes, Richard Bruton is new to the job, but he has been in government um, for the last number of years. He has been observing what's been happening um, with the previous minister. Um, there's a huge. I can't emphasise enough the, the massive body of research that already exists into these types of schemes. Um, there's a huge evidence base of it working in Scotland, in Denmark, across Europe. Um, and I think that that business, what you mentioned, that business lobby, they're obviously, they have to protect their own interests. Um, whereas politicians, it's their job to, to protect the interests of the people who they represent, which is us. Which is why I would encourage anybody who cares about these issues and who's worried about plastic to pick up their phone and call their local Fine Gael TD and encourage them to move this bill forward without haste. Um, because I think it's us that they need to listen to at the end of the day. It's us that's going to be affected by plastic pollution. Okay, Emily, I have to leave it there. I'm over time, but thank you indeed for your time Brilliant. and for joining thank us you. here on the programme this morning. Emily Duffy is the campaign's manager with Uplift and brings our programme to its conclusion today. As I say, our time is out. There'll be a podcast available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon if you'd like to listen back. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Marie in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.